my name is Kyle, and um, I'm the campus pastor here in Kalispell, but also want to acknowledge those of us joining at Church Online. Welcome. Uh, those of us in Helena, Whitefish, Polson, welcome to you. Those in Deer Lodge, our brothers there at the Deer Lodge Prison Campus, we love you. God loves you. And welcome to church. Man. Um, if you don't know me, uh, my wife and I have been at this church since 2010, nine, I mean, and um, man, it's just been a joy to see God move in this house. And we've served here in Kalispell. We've served in Whitefish. We had the honor of planting the Billings campus for a few years down there. And then we had the honor of planting the Portland campus as well and just witnessing God move. And, you know, during that whole time, that was 2017 to 2022, and we saw some insane things there. Um, but, you know, that's what I believe uh, where revival begins is a place that we think can't be reached for the gospel. So it was the honor of a lifetime to uh, lead a church in Portland, Oregon. And uh, so we've been here now 12 months, well, 14 months, and uh, it's been a beautiful year. And I just love serving here at the church. And we love uh, Pastor Levi and Jenny and their investment into us and my family and the vision that they lead this church with to see those stranded in sin find life and liberty in Jesus. And that's what we exist for. If you haven't ever done it, go to our website, freshlife.church, and check out the uh, core values there. Read our statement of faith, and there you'll see the mission statement that I just said, to see those stranded in sin find life and liberty in Jesus. And I, I'm proud of that, because that is what happened in my household. And so um, my whole life is given over to this work, to see more people come to the hope that my household found in Jesus. And um, so yeah, it's just been an absolute joy to be a part of what God is doing here at Fresh Life. And if you're brand new, boy, oh boy, you picked an interesting week to be here. <laughs> it's going to be a good time. Um, one of our core values that you can find on our website is that we tremble before God's word. And that is a core tenet of this church because we believe that God's word is holy, it is inspired, it's living. And it never returns to the Father void of the work it was intended to do. So today, I hope that you came ready to hear from God, because that's who's doing the speaking today. And uh, we're going to open up his word. But first, I'd love to pray for us. Father, we welcome your Holy Spirit here. We welcome your word to be preached over us and in us. Lord, we ask that you would illuminate areas of our lives that you seek to heal, to mend burdens that need to be lifted. Lord God, we pray that you would speak clearly to us in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, well, we're gonna uh, dive right in. We're calling this message Life and Liberty. And uh, you'll see that around if you're here at the church much. Uh, you'll see life and liberty is, is kind of the phrase that pays around here. And, and that's because, well, Jesus said it himself. I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly, right? That's John 10, 10. And uh, the Bible also says, um, that who the sun sets free is free indeed, right? So life and liberty, and that's the greatest thing ever. None of us on our own uh, can save ourselves, but thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. So as we get to Romans, just a little backstory. Uh, this is written by Paul. Uh, Paul is writing a letter to the church of Rome. Now, as is typical of Paul, he usually has like a target or like a, a common theme that he's writing his epistles or his letters, 
right? He wrote to the Corinthians, the church of Corinth, the Colossians, the church of Colossae, the, the Ephesians, the church of Ephesus, Galatians, the church of Galatia, and so on. But in Rome, he had never been there. So he didn't have so much of an observation to kind of needle them on, you know what I'm saying? Like, hey, you could really improve on X, Y, and Z. So what he was doing was writing a, a really a, a ground level theological foundation for the church of Rome to build on. And it was interesting because Rome, uh, this, this was one of the most thriving churches at the time. It's written around AD 57. And um, there was, as is typical of a church that is marked by the gospel of Jesus, there was a very diverse body, right? There was rich, there was poor, there was Roman, there was Jewish, there was pagan, there was Greek, there, there was this beautiful uh, harmony and unity around the gospel of Jesus. And early in Romans, we get that famous phrase, it's in Romans chapter three, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So he just sort of lays waste to this person's different than that person, than that person, than this person. You're all fallen short of the glory of God. And then in chapter five, the banger that we should never forget, verse eight, he says, God demonstrates his own love toward us for that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the glory of the gospel that we were so messed up. Jesus, even though we were, came and died in our place. So hopefully you made it to chapter seven. Um, Chapter seven, pretty interesting. It, It starts off just talking about the law the law, and, and this was very familiar to the, especially the Jewish people in that time. They were excellent at keeping the law. And by the way, so were the Romans. They, they were excellent at keeping the law. And so he's speaking, really identifying a key tenant to understanding scripture and understanding a life in Jesus. And so we get to verse 21 in chapter seven of Romans. I'm gonna read it and it's up here on the screen. It says, so I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Right out of the gates, that's a bit of a challenging statement to understand. Paul is explaining there's a battle in his mind that he knows God's law. He delights in it, he says. I I know this law, but his stubborn flesh and my stubborn flesh and your stubborn flesh continues to overpower his mind and he breaks this law. There's an oddly hope-filled word here. I don't know if you caught it. This is bizarre. Uh, You're welcome in advance. What a wretched man I am. Hope you're encouraged today. (laughs) Well, yeah, because had he not been aware of his status, he wouldn't understand his need for Jesus Christ. A wretched man I am, and therefore I'm in need of Jesus And so hopefully through the preaching of this word, we come to the realization that in and of ourselves on our own, we are fallen and need Jesus. 
Um, so as he's writing, I, I mentioned the, the Jews especially were very good at law keeping. Uh, there were 613 laws that they had to keep, 613 individual laws. And can you just imagine that burden? That if you stepped out of line, left or right, of 613 various rules, have-tos, that you would then be displaced from God and require an offering to be made. Messed up. That'd be difficult. I couldn't do it. I mean, we had 10 commandments at one point, just 10. And it has ballooned into 613. Here's a couple that I thought you might find interesting. Um, Don't elbow your neighbor unless it's funny. Okay. (laughs) Men, fellas, uh, all you baby-faced, clean-shaven men. Men, you must not shave your beard with a razor. Ah, you blew it. Um, Okay, all you seafood fans, you're not to eat creatures that live in water other than fish. So you probably got a pot of chipino uh, boiling at home right now. You're going to have to leave that. No no lobster. Okay, how about this? All you... uh, Allergic people, uh, not to crossbreed animals. So sorry for your labradoodles. Uh, Here's one. I I committed this today. You are not to climb the steps of the altar. Uh, Here's one. I like this one. You're not to eat that which was left over. Sorry, it's it's in the Bible. I can't. Also that... uh, cauliflower is another reason I'm not going to eat. Okay. Uh, here's one here. This is a two part one. This is a, this is a two part one. So one, you're not to kill the murderer before he stands trial. That's called justice. Okay. But two, you are to save someone that's being pursued even by taking the life of the pursuer. See what we did there? We overcook, undercook straight to jail. Uh, business owners, you are to pay the wages on the day they were earned. So none of this first and the 15th every two weeks unless it's Labor Day and you'll get your check a day late if it clears. No, you're supposed to pay on the day the wages were earned. Uh, You're not to be a rebellious son. That's for someone. Um, You are not to tattoo the skin. Uh, Not guilty as charged. But, you know, there are some strange laws here in the U.S. as well. Uh, For those of you watching online in the state of North Carolina, uh, your bingo game has a five-hour time limit by law. If you're in Chesapeake City, Virginia, no trick-or-treating unless you're under 14. Actually, that's a great law. There's nothing weirder than seeing like Snoopy, but he's like got a five o'clock shadow at your door. Um, Ladies, especially married women, especially married women that don't have teeth, especially married women that don't have teeth in the state of Virginia, you need written permission from your husband to get false teeth. Don't shoot the messenger here, hey. Uh, If you're in New Hampshire, no seaweed collection. Bummer news for those seaweed-having people. Um, Okay, where are my Oregonians? My Oregonians, there are no hunting, no, no hunting is allowed in a cemetery. That's where all the big bucks are, too. Um, this is a bummer. South Carolina, no pinball if you're under 18 because it's considered morally dangerous behavior. <laughs> Busted. Okay, uh, Louisiana, you can't send unsolicited pizza to someone else. Sorry to your principal or your ex-girlfriend. And then this is the last one, and this is probably the most difficult one for us to keep. 
And so you're all going to relate to this. Uh, if you're in Arizona, especially, you're not allowed to put a donkey in a bathtub. Sorry. Those are the rules. But you know, it's been said that there's always a great story behind a rule. Like who, who had to do it when there's a no smoking sign at a gas station? Come on, who did it? Right? It reminds me of Zoolander. Just because we have chiseled abs and stunning bone features doesn't mean we can't not die in a freak gasoline fight accident. Right? Thank you. I practiced that. <laughs> but okay, so I read all 613 of these laws, and they're, you know, we're kind of joking here, but. But again, these are laws. They are laws, and, and they are coming from Scripture. I mean, they were, most of them were found in Deuteronomy, some in Numbers, some in Leviticus, but they were from Scripture, which is holy, God-breathed. This is legitimate laws that they were to keep. And as odd as some of these are, I read the story about the donkey in the bathtub. It like flooded a house in 1927. The donkey, this must have been a massive flood. The donkey washed away, and so did the house. Like... <laughs> So they made a law about it, right? So again, for every, story, for every rule, there's a good story. And, and honestly, here we have these rules. And what it's telling us is that God expects perfection from you. We're, to, to enter heaven of our own devices, we are to be perfect. James 2.10 says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one, is guilty of breaking all of it. I think of it like a chain. If one link in the chain is broken, the whole thing is disconnected. Uh, I think it was my dad who said in the book of my adolescence, 99% of submission is still 100% rebellion. So we are on our own to be perfect, but it's it's a struggle because Isaiah 64 says our righteousness to God is like filthy rags. But I have good news. I have real good news. Understanding uh, Romans 8.1 really unlocks this, that we can live with joy. It says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thanks be to God we have Christ Jesus that we can avoid the condemnation that is coming our way. But we are to be in Christ Jesus. Knowing this, though, I think allows us to somewhat look at our lives, recalibrate how we've kind of, in our own, slipped into legalism as free people, as people that are filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, The way this whole thing works, if we were to enter heaven by Jesus, in Christ Jesus, he is the only one that fulfilled the law. He didn't break the law, he fulfilled it. The law had an appetite and Jesus's perfect life, sinless, blameless, spotless, satisfied that appetite. And that's where we link up our hope. Our faith in his life, his sacrifice on our behalf is our hope. When I was a new believer, um, in high school, I would hear this saying, and I'll admit, I went to a Christian school, so there's a lot of like Christianese stuff going on. But one really annoying thing would be said often, and it was, well, you can't do it on your own. What does, that doesn't make any sense. You can't do it on your, I can't, I still need to stop cussing, bro. 
So I do have to do that. So how do I not do it on my own? It, that doesn't make any sense to me. How, eh, make it make sense. And I feel like Romans 8.2, Paul does that. He says, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. It's easy to kind of game the system and make some rules. And it's like, I want to be a good Christian. Raise your hand if you want to be a good Christian. Now use that hand to slap your neighbor because there's no such thing as a good Christian. That's a conflict in terms. That's a square circle. That doesn't exist. Can God build a rock so big he can't lift it? That's an illogical statement. There's no such thing as a good Christian. There is a forgiven, fallen sinner. His name's Kyle, right? There's no such thing as a good Christian. But we do, we put these little rules in place, right? It's like, well, I didn't have my quiet time today, so therefore I'm a bad Christian. Well, what I'm hoping to help us understand is that this, you can't do it on your own mumbo jumbo. This doing anything is not the heart of the father. We enter into relationship with Jesus. And that is why we want a quiet time. I want to spend time with my father, my savior, my leader, my friend, my Lord. I want to, I don't have to, I want to. I kind of think of it like, um, you ever seen a sailboat before? Um, so pretend you picture a sailboat, Okay, but no wind. The sailboat was built perfectly. Every screw, every nail, everything was exactly where it belonged. Perfect, but there's no wind. It's not going anywhere. So this idea of you can't do it on your own, that really helps me understand if I was a ship with a sailboat with no wind, I couldn't move on my own. As, even as perfect as I made it, it could be nothing unless there was wind, which is what we use to describe the Holy Spirit, the wind. So when we give, right? When we talk about, you know, uh, talk about tithing or making an offering, it's not a have to, it's I get to. We live this life now of, I, I want to return what God has blessed me with so that more people can come to the same hope that I have. 1,530, how much? 1,350 so far this year. I, I want to see more of that. And that's why I return my tithe. It's in worship. I want to be baptized. I want to be public with my faith because Jesus was public for, his, for, for my shame. He took that upon himself publicly. So I want to follow Jesus publicly. Not I have to, but I want to. So maybe we could reword that annoying phrase, you can't do it on your own, to say this, you won't want to do it on your own, right? In and of yourself, you wouldn't have that desire but your will and your desire changes when your eternity's been changed, amen? The things you want are no longer the same things uh, that you used to. We operate now in life out of gratitude and not obligation. And that's what it looks like to live a life overflowing. And God loves you so much. He loves me so much. I'm in love, I'm in love, and I don't care who knows it, right? That's, that's the vibe. You're overflowing, you're filled and you don't care who knows it, right? Because you want to share the good and glorious news that comes from the freedom in Jesus that he gave us. Uh, let's read Romans 8, 9 to 11. He says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. 
But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Verse 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So you are filled with God's spirit and everything flows out of that. And as a a life that is marked by salvation, you get to live with freedom. You're no longer a slave. You are free. You ever hear the story? Uh, This was the story of the 13th Amendment. The 13th Amendment declared all people free, no longer slaves. It happened on December 18th, 1865, when this was signed into law, the decree was passed. It was the legal document. You are no longer a slave. But it wasn't for six more months in Galveston, Texas on June 19th, the day that we celebrate and rejoice, Juneteenth, that the word traveled to the last holdout of slavery and they were freed. Even though legally they had been freed six months ago. Well, I love this picture because this is exactly what it's like to come to life in Jesus. You've been set free 2,000 years ago. Jesus died on a cross. He rose from the dead. He paid the price of every single sin of every single person, past, present, and future. But until we receive it, we're no, we are slaves. As soon as we receive it, we are free. And so as a church, when we say that we exist to see those stranded in sin, find life and liberty in Jesus, this is us living this out, that we're gonna declare to the mountains, we're gonna fight for every person, every student, every young person, every adult. We're gonna fight that they hear the news that they have been set free by Jesus. That's what we're here for. Finally, Knowing this allows us to live as a family. We family, you know? Let's read Romans 8, 15 through 17. It says, rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. God adopted us. And the word that that Paul used when he wrote that was an adoption word, but it was like more than what we would kind of think of adoptions. Like you think of the the legal process that is adoption. And that's awesome. You know, a, a judge swings his gavel and you, you know, this person went from Smith to Jones legally. And they are now in this family. But this was almost deeper. It was almost like Jesus's DNA is transferred into our DNA when we by faith receive what he did. And that's the adoption. And the glory is that we get to enter into the same glory of his because we entered into the same suffering as him. That's where our hope is. You know, we were talking about earlier, uh, Romans 8, 1, where there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. It could be me. But I feel like that part um, is a little easier to understand when I'm thinking from God to me. Like there's no condemnation for, for me because I'm in Christ Jesus from God. Like there's no condemnation from God because I'm in Christ. I feel like I can, I can handle that. I understand that. But I think where it gets difficult 
is that there's no condemnation, maybe from me as well. Like, hey, I don't, I don't need to be that person that's condemning someone else. I could speak life to them. For it is God's ever-loving kindness that leads people to repentance. It's not me wagging my finger, or looking down my nose, or shaming somebody into salvation. That's like pushing rope. But if I, if I were to just live overflowing with the joy that is set in me from Jesus and not condemn another, maybe that would be the most inviting and the most practical way to win someone for Jesus. And that's what I wanna do. And I hope that you're encouraged to do that as well. Maybe it's also hard to not condemn yourself, right? It's so easy to get stuck as a believer, a forgiven believer to think about the, the guilt and the frustration and your past and the mistakes you made. And maybe today you could just be encouraged that there's no condemnation for you by you because you're in Christ Jesus to live free here because you are free in the spirit. We hear that phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. Love the sinner, hate the sin. Yuck. Um, <laughs> Matthew 7 um, Matthew 7, Jesus talks about this. He's like, hey, you see a speck in someone else's eye, but you have a board sticking out of your own eye. So take the board out of your eye and then you'll live to see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. So how about we revert that phrase from love the sinner, hate the sin to love the sinner, hate your own sin, right? Get your eyes off of somebody else and repent for the things that God is revealing to you and live then kind and winsome to someone else for they are just as broken as you are. Implicit in all of this, especially Romans 8.1, when we talk about there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, let's not miss a very important piece of context here. There also is implied in that statement that there is condemnation for those who are not in Christ Jesus. If you're not in Christ Jesus, then there is condemnation. You know, uh, to be in Christ is a really interesting study of its own. Um, it's not to just be friends with Jesus. Like, hey, I'm cool with him. Like, he's never offended me. He's cool. Jesus is just all right with me, as the song goes. You can't be a sideline fan of Jesus. You gotta be in the game with Jesus. He says, you're either for me or you're against me. He doesn't say like, you're either for me or you're chill. Like, hey, you know, what's up? No, you, you have to be for me. You have to be in me. He uses uh, a term, um, well, first he, he shares what happens if you're not. And I do want to read that. This is Matthew chapter seven, verse 21. This is troubling, but this is what it looks like. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my father who's in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So to simply acknowledge that Jesus was like a historical character is not enough to be not condemned. Um. Jesus kind of painted a picture of this uh, with, a, with an agrarian term that was very familiar in the day called grafting. Now, if you know me, you know I know a thing or two about grafting. Big grafting guy here, 
Uh, nice to meet you. Um, when I was 17, I was slide tackled playing soccer uh, my senior year. And um, I completely severed the PCL, the posterior cruciate ligament, and my lateral collateral ligament. And my tibia tore through what's called the oblique popliteal ligament. It's in the very back, also known as a capsule. It's like a tissue membrane. It, it burst. And so when my, what you would normally have a swollen knee, it, it actually was my foot that swelled up because all the fluid drained down to the bottom. It was gross. Essentially, the, the tibia went just to the skin and could have, if the skin wasn't there, it would have just completely come off. It was bizarre. Um, it was a season-ending injury for me, and it was a, it was a uh, career-defining surgery for my uh, orthopedic surgeon here in Kalispell. No kidding. That was his words. Um, yeah. Um, so, um, in order to repair this, I went in for surgery at 17 on the day before my 18th birthday. I, and my mom had to sign me in, but I could sign myself out the next day. It was awesome. Uh, it was an eight-hour surgery, and they basically went in and, and severed ligaments don't heal. Um, torn ligaments sometimes can. Uh, PCL is the strongest ligament in your knee, and your ACL is the one that gets torn a lot. You hear people snap that all the time. Think of it like the, the diameter of your pinky, and the PCL is like the diameter of your thumb. And usually it's so strong, it'll just break bone off. And I know that sounds bizarre, but that's a good thing because bones heal. So they can just put a screw in there and you'll heal and you're good. In my case, it was gone. In fact, check this out. This is my little, my little trick. See that? Yeah, baby. Um, that, that's my stupid human trick. But that's what happens when the PCL is gone. So the PCL is gone. Lateral collateral is kind of no good. And I go in for surgery, eight hours, spend the night. It was a whole thing. And I got uh, basically a graft made from the center third of my patellar tendon, a piece of bone off of my kneecap and a piece of bone off of my tibia, all kind of created this splice. And they went in there and they tried to kind of put it all back together. And it held for five years or so. I tore that, planting a tree for my wife. um, And uh, had to do it again. Another eight-hour surgery. This time it was a cadaver ligament. It was like, or it was an Achilles tendon that they used. So, and then later on, that didn't hold as well. Um, and so I was in Billings at the time and uh, they had a great surgeon there and he consulted with some others and they came up with a new plan. The new plan was to completely cut my leg off. And uh, you think I'm kidding. I'm not. Um, they... They did what's called a high tibial opening wedge osteotomy. A high tibial is up toward the top of your tibia, uh, opening wedge. So they cut the entire bone open and then added a little shim. Um, I brought pictures. <laughs> can, can we put uh, that first slide up, Vanna? Okay, so this was my existing knee before the HTO. That was just some bonus material. They broke two screws off that lived in my knee. You can see that there. Okay, go to the next slide. Okay, this was them opening the bone. Um, Okay, go to the next slide. That is what it looked like afterwards. That's this right here. This held the bone together until it healed. And that kind of white, um, opaque kind of chewy nougat center 
is my, uh, is how they adjusted the posture of my knee and they put this bone graft material in there. And if you look, now I'm going to be all self-conscious every time I get up here. If I line my knees up, you see my legs? See how they're at different positions? That's what that did. It spread the knee this way and this way below the joint. And the purpose for that, uh, in my case, you can take that slide down before everybody pukes. Um, The purpose of that was um, so that they altered the position of my weight so that it no longer went through the center and relied on this PCL. It's kind of a brilliant idea. They usually use that surgery for uh, people that are born like bow-legged or knock-kneed or some sort of malformation in in their legs. And so it's a common enough surgery, but it was a new application of it. And, you know, here I am today. That was in 2015. I don't have much feeling in my foot, but I can stand. I can run. I get to uh, be on the coaching team of my son's varsity soccer team, which is awesome, uh, which is the same team I played on. So that's really cool. Um, And I can, you know, I can live a a very fun life, even though I got this like loosey-goosey situation. Uh, When I'm flexing, that holds. It's pretty cool. Um, In Bible college, I know that comes as a surprise to you that I went, but um, (laughs) in Bible college, uh, right after high school and I had had this surgery, I was kind of on like light duty work. I was in Australia, as I mentioned before. I was in rural outback Australia. The term was out past the back of Burke. Burke was like Timbuktu here. We're like, ah, it's past Timbuktu. That was the saying there. Or like Nazareth in Bible times, like nothing good can come of Nazareth. Nothing good can come of Burke. That was often said. That's where I lived. I went to Bible college there. And on the college, it was a really cool thing. You work half of a day on their farm and they'll subsidize your entire tuition, your room and board, everything. So I got to go to Bible college and work my way through it, but I didn't have to pay anything. It cost me $900 for a passport and a one-way ticket to Australia to go to college, which is awesome. Fully accredited Macquarie Institute of Theology. It was a really interesting time. They had a massive cotton farm. They had an experimental uh, citrus farm as well. And I worked on on that farm. And what they would do is they would grow oranges and mandarins and uh, all sorts of different citrus in the desert. And there, the water is very salty if you can find it at all. And the solution was, um, in order to grow this fruit-bearing tree, they would have to graft it into a tree that was designed for arid and dry environments, the olive tree. And so what they would do is an olive root stalk would be grown about two years old. They would make an incision. And I think we have a picture of that as well. They would make an incision. Uh, this is figure A, boys and girls. Uh, they would make this incision and, and then they would insert uh, in figure C there a, a, a harvested citrus root stalk. And by doing so, they'd bind it up and it would, that tape would eventually dissolve and this new life would grow out of this existing root. And I am so blown away at God because, you know, he, 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 he did this in nature. This works. And look at the shape of that. It's a cross. That through a cross, the wounding of this living thing, this olive tree, that I, the harvested piece of something else that is removed from its life now uh, can be implanted into the life of this root and grow. I mean, these trees are like 40 feet tall. 
They were bearing fruit in a desert. And Jesus said something about that. He said this in John 15, verse four. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. That is the picture of being in Christ, that his life gives you life. The doctor said to me in this surgery, Kyle, this surgery is going to require a lot from you. And he, he did that to make sure that I understood what I was going into. Well, friend, if we're talking about splicing and grafting and being in Jesus, it requires nothing from you because Jesus paid it all. And all you have to do is enter in by faith into the life that Jesus wants for you. I want to pray for us as we close. Maybe uh, today you're hearing these words and feeling like you've complicated Christianity and your relationship with Jesus. And I want to give you an opportunity just to respond to that and say, hey, pray for me. I want a, a new life in Christ. I've made it so difficult and that's not the will of God. If that's you, just slip up a hand. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for those that are hearing from you that are realizing that they've overcomplicated a simple and beautiful truth to walk in life with you and to do life with you. I pray that you would reveal to them where they can come to you for healing and rest and to lay their burden at your feet. You can put your hands down. Uh, maybe in this room, as we pray, you were feeling like the person that said to the Jesus at judgment, Lord, Lord, I, I kind of knew you. And today Jesus is saying, I, I don't know you. And you want to change that. Maybe today this is the first time you've heard the good news that you are free and you want to receive today your freedom in Jesus. I want you to pray with me. Repeat these words. And as a church, we're going to pray this together and say this, say, dear Lord, I've sinned. I've fallen short. But you lived a perfect life. And you died in my place. Today, I receive that. I want to walk in new life with you. Forgive me of my sin and help me follow you. In Jesus' name.